Thanks, Donna. Morning, everyone. Don't you want to open up a Bible to Psalm 40? Psalm 40 is where we are going to close out the life of David. It uh, feels like we're saying goodbye. Well, I feel like I'm saying goodbye to an old friend. It's like, oh, I just want to keep going. There's so much that we left out of David's life, uh, but we, we did look at a fair amount of stuff. And today, um, like I said last week, we're going to be looking at, um, at David as a worshiper. And uh, David wrote a lot of psalms, and I struggled to know which one to look at, which one to preach, which one to settle on, and I eventually settled on Psalm 40, because I think it's got a mixture of a lot of helpful and encouraging stuff for us, and it, and it shows different angles and aspects to um, both David's life, his relationship with God, what he went through, and is massively helpful and encouraging for us this morning. Uh, we were test driving this month. Here we go. All right. Psalm 40, let's read. If you have a Bible, I'm going to encourage you to like, or a phone, just to keep it with you, because we're going to look... Uh, we're going to read the whole of the psalm because I think that's how psalms should be read from beginning to end. And then we're going to read and reread, okay? <laughs> so, we're going to be looking at the, at the Bible a lot this morning. Keep going back. I'm going to do a step-by-step step all the way through Psalm 40 <clears throat> as we go and look at David this morning. Let's uh, read from verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit, out of the muddy clay, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear, and they will trust in the Lord. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud or to those who run after lies. Lord, my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. You do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I have come. In the scroll it is written about me. I delight to do your will, my God, and your instruction is deep within me. I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I did not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I am unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. 
Let those who love your salvation continually say, The Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. I know Tornos prayed, but let's pray. Let's pray again as we respond to God's word. Father, we, we ask again uh, this week as we do every week that you would uh, speak to us, that you would teach us that uh, the revelation of your word amongst us would be um, so evident to us as the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, happens amongst us, as you, Spirit, teach us, as you open up our eyes and our ears and you make our hearts receptive. Thank you for this journey through uh, looking at the life of David and as we now look at the psalm that you inspired him to write, there's so much richness of who you are and so much reality and truth about who we are in the light of who you are and what you've made us. We pray that you'd give us eyes to see, that you would encourage our hearts. Thank you that you speak life-giving words to us and we pray. We look to you now, Father. You're the grace-giving God and we pray and we look, we so desperately need life-giving words to be spoken into the depths of who we are this morning. So we pray that you would come and help us and do your work amongst us in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> do you remember what God's assessment was of David? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, Acts 13 quotes 1 Samuel 13 and it says, This is David, a man after my own heart. That's God's assessment of what he sees uh, in David. This is a guy who is after my own heart. There was something in David that, was, that desired the Lord, that was, that was wholesome and good and longed for uh, God, longed for the presence of God, longed to walk in his ways. And as we've looked um, over the, uh, well, it feels like months, probably just been weeks, at the life of David, we've seen that sometimes he's done that. You know, and he has walked in God's ways. Other times he's sort of taken a bit of a diversion and ended up in all kinds of trouble and caused massive calamity to come on others and on the nation. And um, he is a man of, but God's assessment of him is still what? He's still a man after my own heart. It's, a, it's, it's amazing to me that um, when, when that's quoted I think by, by, um, by Paul in Acts, uh, that's, what's, that's what's referenced. This is a man after my own heart. It's, they know the whole life of David, all the misadventures and the sin, and yet what remains? This is a man after my own heart. Yeah. God rescues, as it were, not the reputation of David, but that's a standout feature. This is a man after my own heart. Uh, David lived uh, a worshiping life. He was a worshiper of God. There's so many things. I looked at so many different like, uh, ways guys broke down series on looking at the life of David. And like, some of them had lots on him being a warrior and a poet and a prophet and a this and that. But I think the one thing that you see when you spend a lot of time reading the life of David uh, and, and you tether it together with the Psalms, the, the abiding thing for me, and I think many others who've read this, is that David was a worshiper. David was a worshiper. He was the lead worshiper in the nation. He gave us so many psalms that God's people have used for thousands of years to worship God. They, out of, through God, 
out of David's mouth from his pen, we have language that we've used for year upon year, century upon century to worship God, to give voice to what we sometimes feel in our hearts. David was a worshiper. And so as we, as we wrap up this series on David, I want us to look at what a worshiping life looks like. If you're a note taker, that's what we're doing. We're looking at six things that a worshiping life uh, looks like. And the first thing, and we're just going to go from verse 1 and we're going to keep trucking all the way through here. The first thing that you see, uh, a worshiping life responds to rescue. A worshiping life responds to rescue. I don't know who it was who, who said it, that um, worship is always a response to revelation. That's what worship is. When we stand here and we sing, um, we're singing to a God who has revealed himself to us. That's what makes worship worship. That's what makes us want to worship God is that he has revealed himself to us, to you. Uh, if, you're, if you're a Christian here this morning, at some point and at multiple points, God has revealed something of himself and his ways to you. And singing is one of the ways in which we respond to God, but it started with God. Worship is a response to revelation. It's not that we, we do discover God as we worship in some ways, but it's, that's not the point. The point is that our worship is responding not just to who he is and what he's done, all of those things and many more, but here you see um, in these first four verses, a worshiping life is a response to rescue. We don't know what's going on in David's life or what had been going on, but have a look. It says there, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He did what? He brought me out of a desolate pit and out of the muddy clay. And he set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. What else did he do? He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. We don't know what, what situation it was that God rescued David out of, but if you, if you have a good memory, you'll remember that throughout our series, God has rescued David on multiple occasions, again and again, not just from Saul chasing him, not just from Absalom trying to whack him, not even from his own sin and foolishness. Again and again, David has experienced this rescuing, this pulling out of a, out of a pit, and I think it made David a worshiper. It made David a worshiper. He was always responding to God, rescuing him from himself, and, and what happened? He put a song in his mouth. But this wasn't just for David. Every time that, and this is David's assessment, every time God rescued him, it wasn't just for David. It was important for David. He's like, I was in a pit and you rescued me. But what does it say there? Verse, no, sorry. Many will see. Where's that verse? Verse three, many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. People will look at what you've done for me. Lord, that's what David's saying. Many will see, and they will fear, and they will come to trust in the Lord. Because when God rescues you, it's never just for you. It's never just for you. It's for others who look at a God who rescues you, and the ultimate purpose of that is not that just you would be rescued, but that many would see, and they would fear the Lord, and they would, they would come to trust in Him. There's a purpose to God getting you out of any kind of hole you've sometimes got yourself into. That it would be a declaration, it would be a witness, it would be a testimony to God so that others would come to know him. David had received rescue upon rescue upon rescue and it made him uh, a worshiper. And as we, 
as we close out this first point, I think I just want us to respond to this, that you and I, if you're a believer in Jesus, have already received the greatest rescue. You have received the greatest rescue, regardless of what may happen in the future of your life. If you know Jesus and you have been brought to faith in him, you have received the greatest rescue. You belong not to yourself, you belong to the one who made you. And he, has, he will keep you securely forever. You have been rescued. And the testimony of the scriptures is then the rest of your life should be one of worship. Because we're responding to rescue. And it doesn't matter what else still comes. We, it's not like we only respond to God when he helps us get out of a sticky situation. Oh God, you helped me with this, you helped me with this. I crashed my car, I made a mistake at work, whatever else. Hey Lord, you've helped me, you helped me. If we only ever worship God when things are going swimmingly, you know, we'd be very patchy worshipers at best. Very patchy. And you see it in the testimony of the life of David. Do you remember this? Where did he write some of the most moving psalms that we've looked at? On the run, in the desert, fearing for his life. Without resolution. Without resolution, still on the run in the desert. He's able to worship in the wilderness. Because we have, you have to, we have to learn the secret of worshiping God in the wilderness. Because we have already, already received the greatest rescue. The most important, most significant thing to ever happen to us has already happened. It's been secured for all eternity and it turns us into worshipers. A worshiping life responds to rescue. The second thing is that a worshiping life remembers God and his goodness. The worshiping life remembers God and his goodness. Verse 5, Lord my God, you have done many things. Your wondrous works and your plans for us, none can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they are more than can be told. Here's David, he's saying, Lord, you have done so many things. Not just for me, but for our nation, for our people, your wondrous works and your plans for us. Because of this, no one can compare to you. There's no one like God who's done for David and for his people what God has done. He says, if there's so, there's, and there's not like two or three. He says, if, they were, if I were to speak of them, um, I couldn't because there's too many to be told. It's not like I've got a little bit of an encouragement, encouraging testimony from this and this. He's like, there's just like this endless list of the astounding faithfulness of God to both David uh, and to his people. I, um, I have a very patchy memory. Um, and where it comes to um, sharp focus is in my ability to remember movies. And Claire always teases me uh, um, about this. I honestly don't remember movies that we've watched. Um, I'm always like, hey, we should watch this movie. She's like, we already watched that movie. I'm like, I don't remember what happened. Let's watch it again. And I, true as Bob, I'm watching the movie, and I know I've watched it, but I don't know what I, I, I'm watching. And I'm like, oh, I, rem I remember when it happens, but all the way to the end, it's new to me. I've watched, have you watched The Usual Suspects? Yeah, that's that one with the, the hectic twist at the end. I've watched that movie four times. I cannot tell you. I was thinking about it this morning. I don't know how that movie ends. I can't remember how, I'm going to watch it again this afternoon and be like, oh, you know, I don't remember movies. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. Hey, I can just re-watch them. Hey, you know, I don't have to go find, just watch the good ones again and again. Uh, I have like some movie amnesia kind of thing and you know, it's a blessing and a curse, I suppose, in some ways. You know what's worse for you is spiritual amnesia. Spiritual amnesia. Forgetting what God has done. 
forgetting who God is and what he's done in your life. That has massive consequences for us. And we become life-giving, lifelong worshipers the more we remember God and his amazing goodness to us. I had a whole bunch of different ideas and I chickened out of all of them because of what we'd be here till lunchtime. I wanted to interrupt my sermon and just do a little spin around the room and say, hey, can somebody just share with us a testimony of God's goodness? Something that God has done for you that you're grateful for. You know, we could do that and just go from person to person to person having like a little grace festival kind of thing here. Uh, but I don't want to put you on the spot or be under pressure or put you under pressure kind of thing. I wanted to say this though, that if some people are excellent journalists, you know, you write stuff down and sometimes people go back and look at them. And I would encourage that practice if you are like me, you have a bad memory. But we can't allow ourselves to lapse into spiritual amnesia where we forget the goodness of God and what he's done. And that's what David says. He says, Lord, you have done, you have done amazing things. No one can compare to you because when we hold that, the memory of who God is and what he's done in our lives before us, we become worshipers. We're able to say, no one can compare to you, God. No one can compare to you. We don't have to go running, looking for help in other areas. We live before God as worshipers because he has done amazing things. And we're reminding ourselves not just what he's done, but who he is. We can't let ourselves lapse into spiritual amnesia. Worshiping life remembers God and his goodness. Thirdly, a worshiping life knows that obedience is better than sacrifice. A worshiping life knows that obedience is better than sacrifice. Verse 6, you do not delight in sacrifice and offering. You open my ears to listen. You do not ask for a whole burnt offering or a sin offering. Then I said, see, I've come in the scroll that's written about me. I delight to do your will, my God. And your instruction is deep within me. In David's life, we've seen both obedience and sacrifice, and we've seen obedience and disobedience. We, we, we've seen this mixed bag um, of David's life, and we've seen David make sacrifices. So he's not saying, um, oh, uh, you know, he says there, you don't delight in sacrifices, but David still made them. He's just drawing a relative worth. He's saying obedience is better than sacrifice. He had learned this. He had, he had learned this, and, and, and a worshiping life, he knew this, the truth of this, that a worshiping life values obedience over sacrifice. And you know where he learned it most starkly? I think it's a story that was drilled into his head as the future king because the king before him chose sacrifice over obedience. You might remember the story of Saul. This is where God rejects Saul. God rejects Saul. He gives Saul very clear instructions about what he wants him to do. He says, Saul, I want you to go and do these things. And Saul goes off and he does most of them. He does most of the things and he, he doesn't wipe out everything. He brings back some stuff and he start, they start having they're like a kind of a praise party. They're on their way to go and sacrifice. When Samuel confronts Saul, he says, what on earth are you doing? He says, well, we're, I'm going to go and sacrifice all these wonderful things to God. He says, that's not what God asked you to do. That's not what God told you to do. He didn't tell you to go and do some of what uh, he asked you to do and then bring and have this big like impressive looking sacrifice. He told you to go and wipe out every living thing and you didn't do it. And it's that incident that ends up uh, with God rejecting Saul as the king. And, it, and, and David knew that. He remembered that. He, obedience is better than sacrifice. We need to get our heads uh, around this, that no amount of our sacrificing, no amount of our self-righteous, doing good, coming to church, giving, helping the poor, whatever else that we can must up 
covers over disobedience. God delights in our obedience. How did David know what to obey? This is massively important because it gets lost a bit in the English here. How did David know what to obey? Have a look there. It says there in verse 6, you open my ears to listen. You open my ears to listen. You know what the literal uh, um, Hebrew is of that? You have hollowed out ears for me. You have dug out ears for me. It's, it's like into clay, like God had dug, dug ears for David. What does that mean? It means he gave David an ability to listen to him. He made him spiritually sensitive. David didn't know what uh, obedience looked like, what God was asking him to do, but God basically drilled holes into his head so that he could communicate with him. And how did he do it? Through the word. Through the word. That verse continues and it talks about the delighting in your will and your instruction being deep within me. And we know from the other Psalms, David's absolute delight in the law of the Lord, his delight in the word. Guys, if you want to know what God wants you to do with your life and what obedience looks like, it's in this book. It's not secretive. God's not holding out on you. God's not trying to play games. It's all here. It's all here. And the truth of it is here because some Christians live under false guilt and condemnation. You feel like you should be doing all of these things. You feel like you should, you, you just crushed by all these expectations and voices and whatever else. And they're not in here. They're not in here. They're either from your own head or from the enemy who hates you or from other people. They're not in here. This is what we're called to obey. And the more time we spend in this, we start to learn the voice. Our ears get tuned to him. We're able to understand, oh, this is what you want me to do. This is how you want me to live. God had given David a revelation and, and spiritual sensitivity. And, and it says he, he puts his instruction deep within him. It's not that David always followed through on it. And we've seen that in, in multiple ways. But he knew. And I think, I think if you're not a Christian or before you were a Christian, or people who we know who aren't Christians, this, this is slightly different. You know, I, I think there is a, um, an awareness that unbelieving people have of what's right and wrong. I think there is. And they, so they suppress it. That's what the scriptures say. They suppress the knowledge of the truth. They know, but they suppress it. And the more you suppress it, the more you become numb to that conviction. It works differently for believers who get indwelt by the Holy Spirit because then we have the Holy Spirit within us to bring about a conviction and a revelation. And you know, hey, you feel the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that or go do that. And then we have the opportunity to obey or not to obey. That's the, the mercy and the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. It's different. That's the kind of ears that we've been given to listen to God. But it's all connected to the living word of God. And I just want to say one more thing on this on this point, that a worshiping um, life knows that obedience is best on two fronts. Firstly, because it honors God. Our obedience honors God. And secondly, it's the very best thing for us. I mentioned this last week, and it, and it struck me as I was saying that, that some of us believe the lie that following, following Jesus would be like a straitjacket, and, or, you know, God's like the fun police. You know, at least you do what he wants, but there's no fun in it. 
There's no life. There's no joy in it. It's just like a miserable existence. And thank goodness heaven's coming because then it'll be fun, you know. But until then, like you just got to like just toughen, knuckle down, and just say no to all these lack of things that we actually want to do. And that's not the message of the scriptures. Not the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel is that the and of the scriptures is that the very best way for a human being to live is in full submissive obedience to God and to his laws and his ways. You're not missing out on anything. Not missing out. It's for our flourishing that God has given us instructions and his laws and his ways. It's for our flourishing not to squish us. Fourthly, a worshiping life is vocal about God. A worshiping life is vocal about God. Verses 9 and 10, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed. As you know, Lord, I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I spoke about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. David was loud about God. David was loud about God. I know this question may come across as a bit of a, I don't know, a guilt-laden question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and then you, know, you can deal with the guilt with the Lord. If the, do the people who work with you, would there be enough evidence in your life to be convicted of being a Christian in your workplace, in what you speak about and how you live? Do they know? Or are you like a covert CIA kind of Christian there? Like one day you bump into somebody and you're having a chat and you find out they're a Christian and, you, and they're a Christian and you just have this amazing like connection and it's like you've worked in the same place for five years and now suddenly like two little atoms bump into each other. It's like, we're Christians. And how wonderful, you know, and you, you never knew they were a Christian and they never knew you were a Christian. Guys, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Your life is meant to be lived out loud. Out loud. And from your lips. From your lips. What does David say? I proclaim. I proclaim. You put a new song in my mouth when you rescued me. And I proclaimed. I spoke. I did not hide. I did not conceal. I spoke about your righteousness, your faithful love, your goodness. The call on us and the encouragement, guys, is when God is doing wonderful things and when God is, which he is in your life, is to speak about them, not just to other Christians. It's easy to, to have a, a, you know, like a testimony celebration here. It's a different thing. In your, in your workplace or amongst your unbelieving family or whatever, to talk about and to testify to the faithfulness of God. But how else are they going to know? How else are they going to know, guys? They're not here. And God can be doing the most amazing things in your life, and it's all in your prayer journal. Lord, that they would find your prayer journal and read it, because then they would know. That's not the point. It's, don't write it in the journal. Shout it from the rooftops. Shout it from the rooftops. Guys, you may sound strange. You may. Remember when David was dancing with all of his might before the ark? And they thought he was crazy. And his own wife said to him, Pish, dude. Well, she didn't, you know, but she basically said that. People might think you're nuts when you're celebrating God's goodness out in public. But that's what we're called to do. That's how they're going to find that same goodness. That's how they're going to meet the God who loves them and who loves you and is working in your life. I love those interviews after sports matches. 
Oh, you guys played really well today. Well done. You're the man of the match. Give them the microphone. Yeah, I just want to thank the Lord for giving me the strength to clap all of these oaks today. You know, if you've seen those interviews all the time, every second sportsman in South Africa is a Christian. Because it's always the Lord giving them the, the help to beat the other guys. And I've had a conflicted view around how that works. So which, which side God was on on that day? And if he didn't give, God didn't give the other guys any, any strength to tackle you, you did not get destroyed by you. I don't know how that works. You see it when they give them Emmys and music awards. Every second musician is a Christian. You know, they get up, I just want to thank the Lord and Jesus. And like, you listen to their music and it's like, Hello? Maybe you should spend some more time with them, you know? There's this weird thing where some people are happy to be vocal about it. And yet those of us who genuinely know him, sometimes when you look in our own hearts and say, Lord, would you make us louder? Would you make us louder? Fifth thing is a worship in life is honest. A worship in life is honest. Have a look at verse 11. Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me, for troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my courage leaves me. Lord, be pleased to rescue me. Hurry to help me, Lord. Let those who intend to take my life be disgraced and confounded. Let those who wish me harm be turned back and humiliated. Let those who say to me, aha, aha, be appalled because of their shame. Let all, who you, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say the Lord is great. I am oppressed and needy. May the Lord think of me. You are my helper and my deliverer. My God, do not delay. One of the th- things you see consistently in David's life is honesty. Honesty about what is going on in his life about his spiritual condition, about what he wants the Lord to do. David is a great gift to us because he never pretends like everything is lacquer. And we mention it again and again here that this is what a church community should be. It's not a place where you come and pretend to be somebody you're not. It's a place where you come to receive the grace that you need. Because God already knows. And sometimes the people around you Sometimes the people around you won't understand that. And they will judge you, and they will gossip about you, and they will share things that you've shared with them and ask them not to tell anyone. And church will hurt you. Church will hurt you. You just got to get your head around it. Because it's in a bunch of imperfect sinners all trying to journey together. doesn't mean we give up on it just because it's imperfect. We press in and we go closer to God. But what, you, what we're meant to have here is, is a hospital. Not a museum of saints, but a hospital of sinners all striving to receive the grace that we need. And we don't come here to pretend. We don't come here to put our best foot forward. We don't come here to be the hallelujah, yes, the Lord blessing me. My life is just amazing every week. Yeah, there's patches where we're just flourishing and God has been good to us and everything is going great. But almost every Christian I know at some area of their life is always struggling with something. Always struggling with something at some point in some area of your life. And David doesn't pretend. And it's so refreshing, isn't it, to read David and be like, this guy's just like, I mean, he's, he says he's got more problems than hairs on his head. He says his courage has left him. His courage has walked out the door. It's like, David, you're the king, bro. You, you need to lead this thing. You need to be the guy with the courage. 
My iniquities have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. The guy is struggling. And again and again, you see this level of honesty in, in the Psalms. A worshiping life is honest with God. It's honest about where you are, and it's honest about who he is and what he's able to do. I think it's one of the most refreshing things about the Psalms, is that it marries those two things together. This is me, this is where I am, this is what's going on, and this is true of who you are and what you're able to do. So it's not just like a therapy, hey God, oh, my life sucks, you know, I just want to die. David is also gospeling himself, hey, your faithful love will never leave me. Your faithful love will never leave me. When you're in a difficult place, you need gospel truth that others can beat into your head and that you can remind yourself of. The last thing we see here is that a worshiping life is, is happy in God. A worshiping life is happy in God. Verse 16, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. Look back in verse 4 there as well. How happy is anyone who has put his trust in the Lord? Let those who seek you and rejoice be glad in you. David knew that true joy comes in God. True joy comes in God. It's not that there is no joy outside of God. That's not what he's saying. But true joy comes in God. In God. It's the securest form of joy. Because it can't be affected by everything else. And you know who is exhibit A in an illustration of this? David's own son. David's own son, Solomon. If you remember, if you were around when we did that series on Ecclesiastes, that's what Solomon says. He says, right, I'm going I'm to do an experiment. I'm going to see if I can satisfy my soul with pleasure. And he goes on an experiment. You remember from Ecclesiastes, and he, he gets more women in his life than any man needs, um, like hundreds, hundreds. He has more wealth. He's the wealthiest person. He's the wisest person. He eats the richest food, drinks the finest wine. He goes all out on a pleasure experiment. And remember his assessment? It falls short. It doesn't do what he hoped it would do. Guys, your solution to your soul's dissatisfaction is not more of anything. You don't need more bucks. You don't need a longer holiday. You don't need a kinder boss. You don't need more children. Lord knows I don't need more children at the moment. That's not a solution to much. You don't need more of anything. You need more of God. You need more of God. Your deepest joy is found in Him. Don't, don't kid yourself that, oh, this will be the solution to my problems. God's solution to your problems may be to take other things away still. You see that again and again in the scriptures, God seems to do that. He takes away from people who he wants to uh, reveal himself to. So that they are not looking and leaning on other things. And they realize more and more, oh, all I have left is you. Oh, that's all I need. Some of the happiest, joy-filled people, the most thriving people in the world are the poorest on our planet. Because God is all they have. And there is a deep joy in their relationship with God because that's the way it's meant to be. We, who are wealthy, 
cloud our lives with a million other things that just bring sorrow upon sorrow and cause us to look at them and love them and hold them tight when we should be blessing others with those things. And we, we, we are slow learners. We are slow learners because we keep doing it. And the testimony of the Scriptures is that joy is found in God alone. Happy is the one who finds his joy in the Lord. My prayer for us is that as we reflect on the life of David, we would ask God, God, would you give us worshiping lives? Would you help us to be worshipers like him? Would your testimony of us be, hey, I know these people at Parkhurst. These are people after my own heart. These are people after my own heart. They're not perfect, but we're a worshiping community going after the grace of God that's found in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we're grateful for everything that you um, taught David and did in his life and through his life. We're grateful for the weeks that we've spent looking at that and learning from uh, the richness of it and, and how, how his life has pointed, pointed us again and again to you and again and again to you, Jesus. The one who David anticipated and testified to And as we come before you this morning, we ask that you would, you would help us to be people who live worshiping lives. There's, there's so many things that we could worship and that we do worship outside of you. And we come before you this morning and confess that, Father, we have loved so many things other than you. And we've offended you with our multiple loves and we pray that you would cleanse us and forgive us again and unite our hearts and give us an increased love for you and a single-minded devotion to be worshippers of the living God. That you'd remind us again this morning that all our joy is in you. It's not in created things. It's not in the things you've given us to enjoy. Our joy is found in you because you have tethered us to yourself. You have made us yours. And you're the only one that can satisfy our souls. I pray even this morning that you would come through the mercy and through the ministry of the, of the Holy Spirit and satisfy our souls again in your presence. Remind us again, Father, of the richness of your presence and how it satisfies in a way that nothing else um, can satisfy, nothing else can strengthen. You have all the grace that we need. You have all the strength that we need. You have all the mercy that we need. Help us to remember Keep us from spiritual amnesia. Remind us again and again of your goodness and your ways and who you are. And give us courage, Father. Give us courage to be people who testify from the rooftops about the kindness of our God. We don't want to be people, Father, who, who just experience your goodness and just dwell on it and enjoy it in our hearts. Give us spirit-given um, spirit courage to be vocal people who testify about who you are and all the wonderful things you are doing in our lives. 
that many may hear and fear the Lord and come to trust in you. We ask these things together in Jesus' name. Amen.